This is A Little Deeper, a mini-episode of Women Studying the Word. I'm your host, Meredith Beattie. Welcome back to the show. Today, this episode of A Little Deeper will be a little longer than usual because I have a special guest. She is one of my favorite people to talk to, and I'm so excited for you to meet her. We're going to do what we love to do, and that's talk about books. And the book we're going to talk about today is all about the Psalms of Ascent. It's a book by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Don't you love that title? I really love a good title. And this title gives us a preview of how good the rest of the book will be. It's filled with witty and thought-provoking language. Now, some of you may be familiar with Eugene Peterson. He's the author of the Message Translation of the Bible. He was an American minister, scholar, theologian, and author of over 30 books, and he passed away in 2018. This book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, is kind of an extended theological reflection on the Psalms of Ascent and what they have to say about Christian discipleship. Now, you might not be familiar with the Psalms of Ascent, though. In the last episode, I covered Psalm 121, which is called a Psalm of Ascent. I talked a little bit about them, but let me share with you what Eugene Peterson has to say about them. He says this, In the pastoral work of training people in discipleship and accompanying them in pilgrimage, I have found tucked away in the Hebrew Psalter an old dog-eared songbook. I have used it to provide continuity in guiding others in the Christian way and directing people of faith in the conscious and continuous effort that develops into maturity in Christ. The old song book is called the Songs of Ascents. The songs are the Psalms numbered 120 through 134 in the Book of Psalms. These 15 Psalms were likely sung, possibly in sequence, by Hebrew pilgrims as they went up to Jerusalem to the great worship festivals. Topographically, Jerusalem was the highest city in Palestine, and so all who traveled there spent much of their time ascending. But the ascent was not only literal, it was also a metaphor. The trip to Jerusalem acted out a life lived upward toward God, an existence that advanced from one level to another in developing maturity, what Paul described as the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus, Philippians 3:14. This picture of the Hebrews singing these 15 psalms as they left their routines of discipleship and made their way from towns and villages, farms and cities, as pilgrims up to Jerusalem, has become embedded in the Christian devotional imagination. It is our best background for understanding life as a faith journey. There are no better songs for the road for those who travel the way of faith in Christ, a way that has so many continuities with the way of Israel. Since many, not all, essential items in Christian discipleship are incorporated in these songs, they provide a way to remember who we are and where we are going. This is what my friend Jennifer and I will discuss on today's episode. We're going to talk about the book, about Eugene Peterson, our thoughts on discipleship, and I'm sure much more. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Okay, so I would like to introduce you to my good friend, Jennifer McClish. Hey, Jen, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Good, good. Well, thanks for being on the podcast. I know that you have experience being on the podcast. Yes, I was... um, (laughs) Thrown into a podcast thrown at into my a, workplace, yeah. yes. <laughs> so why don't you tell the listeners a little about yourself and your family and what you spend your days doing? Oh, okay. Well, I'm married to Matt. We've been married 27 years. Um, we've lived in Atlanta for uh, 23 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have three children. The last is about to leave the nest um, and yeah. head off to college. Not too far so, away, though. No, that's true. Not too far away. <laughs> but Matt and I will be official empty nesters. Oh, so that's wow. a new a change that we're going through. But um, we, for those 23 years, most of those we attended Johnson Ferry Baptist Church. Yeah, where my family goes. Yes. And, um, and I just have been involved in a lot of Bible studies there. And in the last 10 years, uh, teaching Bible studies. Mm-hmm been involved with a ministry called Big Dream that writes and produces Bible studies. And then this last year, uh, I went to work for actually a church plant of Johnson Ferry called mm-hmm. Christ Covenant 
in Buckhead, which is in the middle of Atlanta. And I went on staff part-time in the counseling area um, and uh, trained to be a biblical counselor and still in that process. But in the last month, I've transitioned to uh, the role of director of women's ministry. Oh, wonderful. So, yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Exciting news. How did, how did that happen? I mean, you oh, my kind goodness. of, the whole biblical counselor thing was kind of a that was a, a little bit you, that right? was a surprise um my prayer had been that i would be like i didn't even know how to voice it more just more pastoral in my teaching mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. with application and also when people um you know come up to you after teaching and have questions and then they share things about their personal life and yeah you know just really wanting to be able to like speak to those issues going on in people's lives which you can, um, you know, I mean, I could in terms of like the Bible study that we've been doing, but anyway, like more targeted, I guess. Now mm-hmm. I know it's like really targeted discipleship. So um, I had been praying that over the course of a year, and then out of the blue, I met the pastor of the Christ Cove- of the uh, church plant, and they were trying to start a biblical counseling center where they have um, a pastor, a full time counseling pastor on staff. And they were looking for a woman, and I was, you know, like, I'm not a counselor. Um, I'm not sure that I should, that I'm really, like, who you're looking for. But then in biblical counseling, we just talked about how it's so important to know the word, to have experience handling the word, and then you can be trained in counseling skills. So it's been a really cool process to see, um, again, just to be able to use the word for real targeted discipleship. Um, and take the word to people's like issues and help them search through scripture and apply it to their life and really mm-hmm. experience life change. Yeah, um, it's really transformative. So, um, but huge learning curve, mm-hmm. uh, and now uh, a new a new learning curve even um, with women's ministry because we we have some things in place, but because mm-hmm. again it's such a new church, um, we're really. At the very beginning stages of yeah. building women's ministry, so oh, that's wonderful. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's really great to be able to start be at the beginning of building something. Yeah, very exciting. I love yeah, that. yeah, and like you said, we we used to go to the same church. We still get together once yes. in a while when and our schedules. For, I don't. I was trying to think. I don't even know how long. It's been a long time. Yeah, it's been a long time because we've been at Johnson Ferry for. 24 years almost our whole marriage so um there you go yeah it's so we've probably known each our, other about yeah, 20 we, years yeah definitely wow. and we love to talk books <laughs> <laughs> that's so probably how what, we initially bonded yeah yes. yeah so what what are some books that you're excited about right now what are you oh reading? man oh yeah great question i um the most recent book that i'm actually still reading but i'm loving and this came to me through the counseling um you know, stuff that I'm doing is Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy oh, yeah. by Mark Vrogop. Yeah. Vrogop. Yes, and I've recommended that book on the podcast. <gasps> lament. Yeah, it's so good on the lament. So good and so needed. I, I, it comes up so much in counseling. Mm-hmm. When people are walking through hard things from their past, grief, um, hard things that they experience just in uh, the world. I've come across so many nurses. It's been really interesting. Oh, Young women really? in nursing. And that actually is a is a difficult profession. You see a lot of suffering, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of unbelievers are suffering. And what do you do with that? Yeah. You know, it's like a great burden. And lament has been awesome, like to walk with people through and teach them how and to do teach it. Teach them how to do it. Yeah. And this is a great a great book. So that that's a good book. Yeah. yeah. I I, yeah. I haven't read it, but I I heard him on at least one podcast, and then I've. I've read articles by him and everything, and I know that I've used his his definition of lament. Yeah, when I've taught the, the, the formula, almost is like yeah. so great. Yeah, and of I agree. Turning, what is it? Turning, complain, uh-huh. ask boldly, trust, and then trust. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. great. I mean, actually, it's just a great skill yeah. to have. Right, and and so few of... people actually know how to no, do that. Right. Yeah, and that's that's why I think it's so important because. You know, I'm sure with nurses, they they don't know how to process all of the suffering that they right. experience, right. and of course, it's not necessarily personal to them, but it is because they're caring for the patient. And they're and having to, do, yeah. How, how do you, do you do process that? that? You, it's just like, you don't want to disconnect. No, exactly, and I think so many of us can. We maybe walk through life a little bit insulated from, fortunately, like we're mm-hmm. you know you don't have um, you know hopefully a lot of suffering in your life 
all the time. Right. There are certain instances, but but there are certain professions I just had never like put it together where you're really confronted with the you know the brokenness of the world mm-hmm. on a really you know much larger scale. Yes, yeah, definitely. Um, well, today we're gonna turn to this book by Eugene Peterson called Along Obedience in the Same Direction. Mm-hmm. And before we get into it in depth, have you read a lot of Eugene Peterson? Actually, this was the first um, book that I read of his, and then I've only read one other called mm-hmm. uh, Answering God. Yeah, that's about a great praying book. The Psalms, yes. right? Um, excellent book, but this was my first one where I was I mean, I'd heard about him from the message mm-hmm. and kind of had some experience hearing, you know, people use the message as a commentary almost on, you know, the word. And I thought, oh, that's a really great tool. Yeah. And then I can't even remember how I came across this book. And I thought, who is this guy? <laughs> I love this. I need more of this. So yeah. Yeah. He doesn't God write like, like a lot of other people today. He, it feels so conversational. I feel like he's speaking to me. Like it's like talking to a pastor yeah. who's just... He's just so pastoral. I don't. I don't yeah, know. <laughs> I think that's a great point because I, I before we got on recording, I, I told you that I just read his biography, which just came out this year, um, and he passed away three years ago. Yeah. And um, so he was a pastor, mm-hmm. and just I didn't know a lot about his background, and I felt like, well, if I had time before we recorded this, it would mm-hmm. probably be good if I tried to read through this and it was such a fast read I read half of it in one day oh wow yeah and it was so fascinating his life growing up he grew up Pentecostal okay in Montana (laughs) so wow I mean once you you learn his background then you're like it explains a lot about his writing because you know he writes very expansively you know just a very he uses a lot of imagery his language in this book along obedience it's it's he sounds like a poet oh oh yeah and he was very influenced by all that Mm. um but his mom wasn't a preacher but she did preach (laughs) to to many people like down and out type of people in montana and um but he also went to seminary in new york city and he was a student along with, he was friends with Pat Robertson. Really? Isn't that weird? That's so wild. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had all these interesting experiences. Yeah. But he eventually, you know, became a pastor in um, Maryland, in okay. Bel Air. And um, he just had that pastoral heart. And when you read his background, you see that he spent so much, he was kind of a workaholic, and he spent so much time at the church because he wanted to invest in the lives of other people. And he wow. spent his whole life, he, he wrote letters, like handwritten letters. He did not adopt email at oh, all. Oh, wow. Yeah. He was like a modern-day John Newton. Yeah, yeah. He so he just, whole, yeah. <laughs> he just wrote letters to people, and he would just sit with people, and they would ask him questions, and he wouldn't really answer them. He would just, mm. he, you had to be content with having silence. You know, so he and people even after he retired, people would travel to Montana to visit him and and ask questions and be kind of mentored by him. Wow. So so definitely you're on the right track when you say that you didn't even know that about him. I did not. But it comes through in his writing. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. And I was telling you also that, you know, I didn't really I don't recommend the message when I when I teach women Bible study. I'm like, don't use the message translation for study because it's a paraphrase. Mm-hmm. And and part of me was just kind of down on the message. I was like, I don't know if it's really that accurate. But then when I read his biography, I was really convicted because he was like a straight A student in Greek and Hebrew. Wow. And so he really knew his stuff. Apparently. He really did. So um, I... It changed my mind a little. <laughs> right. And didn't you okay. say he had memorized many of he the psalms? He memorized many of the psalms in Hebrew. In Hebrew. And his practice of prayer, he was really a man of prayer. And his practice of prayer was to pray through the whole book of psalms once a month. Incredible. Yeah. Okay. So, What's the name of this book again? The oh, it's called A Burning in My Bones by Wynne Collier. Okay. And so it's I'll called... put that on my list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's <laughs> a very good read. Um, And, and I, I know that... Um, we, we also talked about how the end of his life was kind of controversial about mm. um, 
how he took some stands, theological stands that were very controversial, at least right. in conservative and circles. Questionable. Yes. Questionable, yes. right, about like he endorsed Rob Bell's book about hell and he came out in supposedly in support of same-sex marriage and, and he just kind of created a firestorm within conservative theological circles and, and it, it's it leaves you with this taste of him that is unfortunate because, you know, he really didn't want to be a man right. of controversy right. his whole life. Um, and he was really surprised at all the controversy that that caused. And it just made me think about how we deal with controversial subjects in the church right. and people who we may disagree with on things. And, and, and some of the controversy arose because of the the way it came out, right? Like mm-hmm. the that he was interviewed at a time you were saying earlier when he was in the early stages of dementia. Yeah. But also, you know, maybe not choosing his words as well. So is it mm-hmm. is are there real writings that he has where he wrestles with, for instance, the idea of hell? Yeah. Or is that kind of like a new Yeah, he um, I revelation? mean there were quotes from his journals about his his um his leanings towards universalism, not that he, you know, accepted that or, or, or taught that he never taught that. No, no. But, but like we were saying before we got on the podcast, um, he, I mean, he was so, such a merciful person. He had just that gift of mercy and he leaned towards mercy and acceptance and, Mm -hmm. and non-controversy so much. So I don't know if that was really what was influencing him at the, at the end of his life. Yeah. Yeah. But it it made me think about how we, how we treat people we disagree with and how we need to really take more care in looking at somebody's whole life Right. And not immediately spout off on, oh, well, they believe this, so that exactly. means that they are, and you put them in a right. bad category. Right. You know? Or discount their entire body of work right. because right. one area doesn't line up with what you believe or yeah. see. I mean, obviously yeah. some things are deal breakers, but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but um, yeah, we, we definitely live in a cancel culture mm-hmm. where you disagree with someone and then you cancel their entire yeah existence or body of work yeah and, and one tweet could like exactly ruin you. and that's yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunate and you're robbing yourself with some real wisdom here yeah yeah well what i thought we would do is each take a turn discussing one chapter so i think you are up first so what okay. is the chapter that you well the first chapter first? that i wanted to talk about was chapter six and it's actually on psalm 124 okay and well i guess we probably should set up the book what this whole book is about right yeah the psalms of ascent yeah so yeah. that they know what yeah we're and talking i talked about, about that earlier yeah in the intro to the podcast that i talked about that about psalms of ascent and in the previous episode we did psalm 121 so yeah but okay but yeah yeah his um the whole book is about the psalms of ascent about those psalms from what 120 to 134 is it i think 134 or five yeah yeah and so um he's um one thing we could talk about is just the title of the book did did you know where he got Uh, the title it's a song isn't it no Oh no, Nietzsche! It's a, it's a right. phrase from, from Nietzsche. Nietzsche. Yeah. That's right. I know. That's not funny. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> and that he just funny. kind of he took that, and it was kind of a really maybe cheeky way of taking exactly taking. He's this, redeemed it. Yeah, he's redeemed Nietzsche. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah. So he, I like how he goes through the whole taking all of those psalms and 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 using them to speak about discipleship. So That's right. All right. So this, you So this pilgrimage that we're on and I picked 124 and yeah. that was the psalm about help. God being our help. Okay. And he had some really, you know, as he does, a great insights um, making you think about how do we think of God as our help? And he describes a position that we often find ourselves in where we become uh he described it as being like a clerk Mm-hmm. in a complaints department yeah, yeah. and you know you can hear people say that god is for you um and then in, internalize that a lot of people will internalize and think well he might be for you but he's not for me mm-hmm. and what's the evidence of that well my circumstances look at this thing that's happened in my life and mm-hmm. this loss that i had and this job and so they're looking you know, horizontally if you will yeah at the circumstances to define whether or not God is in fact their help. And he said, we often become like the clerk in that complaint department where we're like, instead of um, witnessing to God's help, which is he, he says is the main work of the Christian, the primary work is to witness yeah. what God has done. 
um, we become either um, defenders of him, yeah. which he's like, we, we should not be... Um, like an apologist for Yes, God. exactly. So we shouldn't be making apologies, but we also shouldn't be even trying to defend him. Like, we're just literally witnessing to who yeah. he is and that that's what this psalm is about. So then he goes into um, pointing out that this witness is vivid and contagious. And this is one of the little things I love about him, because in the beginning of the psalm, it says... Um, if it if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, mm-hmm. let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. And, you know, sometimes when you're reading poetry, you just kind of go through it like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he says that that part, let Israel now say, he translates as everybody now. Okay. Sing it together. Yeah. Which I just thought is like, yeah. So like Yeah, because cool. repetition in Hebrew is is meant for emphasis because right. there are no there's no punctuation in Hebrew. Right. So you can't put in like five exclamation points or an emoji or something. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, yeah. He but like is, he puts it in the vernacular like uh-huh. vernacular, you know, where you're like, Oh yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Everybody now together. Yeah. Let's yeah. sing this. And that makes sense because of his Pentecostal upbringing probably. Uh, there you go. There you go. Um <laughs> But so this is how we are meant to sing. And he gives us a, he says that the psalm describes the help that comes by using two illustrations. One is that these people were in danger of being swallowed up whole, Mm -hmm. eaten alive even. Um, So you have this kind of um, allusion to a dragon or a sea monster, you know, a great uh, monster or threat. And also the danger of being drowned by a flood. So they've gone through the worst, and they find, but they find themselves still intact, not abandoned. He says, mm-hmm. but helped. Um, and he says uh, he quotes then, or a quote from the book then says, "A final strength is not in the dragon or in the flood, but in God who didn't go off and leave us." Right. So again, pointing us to where we always should be looking, which is at God Himself. But then the interesting, and this is just another thing with his insight. He starts talking about cynicism then. Yeah. And how kind of like veers off from the psalm and it says this is often our our posture towards God's help is that we're a little bit cynical or about people witnessing to it. Yeah. I guess like we're a little bit cynical about it like really is that like is that really help or is that really how it happened or mm-hmm. maybe trying mm-hmm. to explain away the miracle i don't know yeah he says well done but who was your copywriter how much should they pay you to say it (laughs) exactly i like that and and it it really does get i'm like oh yeah i do sometimes read scripture at arm's length i mean there are certain Mm -hmm. things that i just like love you know and i'm like yes i'm all about it but there are other parts where i think Okay, yeah, I think I am keeping this. Yeah, and I was like that, I, and that is you're a little cyni- doubting. That's like, a cynicism, and so yeah. to your point of doubting, he says so many people. The reason many of us do not ardent, ardently believe in the gospel is that we have never given it a rigorous testing. Yeah, thrown our hard questions at it, faced it with our most prickly doubts. So, um, and he kind of points out what this looks like, like when we're clucking our tongues over a world going to hell. Um, when we feel pious, we're pretending in the midst of a decadent culture, mm-hmm. um, or if we're fatigued and outcasts, uh, as outcasts who carry righteousness as a burden in the world, all yeah. of these, I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. I've done all of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he says, well, that's you not really throwing yourself on the gospel. It's looking to other, yeah. you know, means to explain our, or again, keeping God at a distance. Like he's not actually being your help in that moment. Right. Um, or you're not looking to him, right, I should right. say, um, as your help in that moment. So then his final um, kind of way of talking about it is, I love this phrase where he says, you know, really we're all um, walking through life in the um, dragon's maw hmm. and at the edge of the flood. Okay. And, a lot of times we're we're kind of understand psalms where it tells you to look to the heavens and there you see the glory of God yeah. and that that would result in praise and song but the thing that's extraordinary about this psalm is that this the psalmist is actually telling you to look at the trouble itself mm. and see God's help you can actually see the glory of God yeah. and that you have a God you you've come through it mm-hmm. and you weren't abandoned there's another um who is the the commentator on Psalms that we, uh, Kidner. Derek Kidner. Derek Kidner. Yeah. <laughs> um, he has this phrase that 
he said often when the when you read these kind of psalms where there's trouble and they're looking to God that they've won through. Oh, okay. I love that, that phrase, phrase yeah. won they've through. Won and through, I feel like yeah. that's kind of what, um, you know, what Peterson is pointing out for us here. Right, right. That, he doesn't, he's, uh, the other thing he says in the, in the, um, in the chapter is that good poetry survives not when it's pretty or beautiful or nice, but when it's true, yes. accurate, and honest. Yes. And that Christian discipleship is hazardous work. Yeah. He's, he started the chapter with, with this funny little with the Red Cross, the, the Red Cross person asking, you know, him if he did dangerous work or yeah, something. He's right. like, yes, I do, because I'm a pastor. You yeah, know? yeah. And I like that because, again, like talking about, like you said before about lament. People don't know what to do about suffering. They don't know how to process the bad stuff. Right. They either deny it or they just kind of stuff it. That's and right. and that's one thing I think Peterson is really helpful with because in this chapter he's like, you know, you can find the truth that God helps you even when you're staring straight into like you said, the dragon's maw or yeah, whatever. Or the, so, or yeah. the flood's edge. Or the yeah, flood. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Just again pointing out that God gives us so many tools. He He knows that we are but dust. He knows our our pain and our mm-hmm. suffering. And I think that's another temptation when you're going through it. You just think, where is God? And there's so many Psalms where it starts that way. Yeah, you know, like God, why have you forsaken me? Mm-hmm. But um, again, this was a song that He wanted them to sing on the regular, reminding them that you know yeah. God is for. I, I'm your God. Yeah, I, God I am your you. help. <laughs> yeah, so. That that's great. Um, let me share a couple chapters that struck me, and uh, we can discuss. So one chapter I loved was chapter eight, and it focuses on Psalm one twenty six. And in that chapter, he talks a lot about joy, and he first makes jokes about the stereotypical joylessness of some Christian <laughs> denominations, like that's his own tr- I know, like Presbyterian, right, like the right. frozen chosen or whatever. Right. But. <laughs> But he says that joy is not a requirement of Christian discipleship, but a consequence. Mm. And I found that really helpful because a lot of times I, we're all trying to generate our own joy. Yeah, you can't manufacture in the Lord. it. Right. No. And he says you can't. None of us inadequate sinners can manage that for very long. And most of That's us, right. if we're honest, we would admit that we can't generate our own joy. But he says we try to get it from many sources. And, and then he shares this comparison. And I love the, the imagery he uses. He says... Um, society is a bored, gluttonous king employing a court jester to divert it after an o- overindulgent meal. Ah, uh, yeah, yes. and he's just so great with the imagery. He really is. Yeah, no, yeah. that's good. And stuff. if you read, you know, again, going back to his biography, you you realize that his gift of writing came from his voracious appetite in reading. Right. You know, and, right. and that's something I'm always learning is that the best writers are the best, the best readers. readers. Yeah, yes. yeah. So he he read extensively. Uh, read a lot of poetry. So, but what do you think about that concept? He seems to be emphasizing that the Bible's definition of joy is very different from the world's and that we can't generate our own joy. I think it's, you see it all through scripture. I mean, it makes me think of Philippians, okay, which is about joy in Christ. But like, you know, um, Paul here, he's writing this from prison. He also says things though, like he's learned how to be content in plenty and how to be content mm-hmm. and want and so we got this contentment you know peace but it did produce great joy and then yeah. that circles back and points to Christ himself who it was for the joy that was set before him that mm-hmm. he endured the cross and you think it's like a sometimes these phrases roll off the tongue they're like we hear them a lot but then we think like wait what <laughs> like if you really think about that what yeah you didn't like, sit in it and really think about yeah, it yeah so it's like where does this joy come from it's this this you know incredible assurance that we can only experience through the spirit that god is our god and Mm -hmm. that he approves of us in christ and we are so loved that he would you know drink the cup of wrath Mm -hmm. on our behalf and you can almost kind of like feel it well feel it welling up in you that okay wow (laughs) that's like a a spring you know coming like kind of shooting out uh from your heart that like this joy is it's like that um you know it's the happy and the sad it's not a temporary fleeting emotion it's a real um solidness to a person but a lightness (laughs) 
<laughs> How can he be solid and light at the same time? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I think he's he hits on something that's so prevalent in our day with we're trying to um, just entertain entertain ourselves to death, yeah, you know, right. or amuse ourselves to death, as Distract I like ourselves. Neil Postman that's right. says. Um, but it's not anything that lasts. No. You know? And we know that. Yeah. And, and yeah. yet. And yet we just. You just keep. You keep doing it. Trying for the next hit of <laughs> yes, happiness. The, the dopamine and, rush. <laughs> right. And it was, so we're never going to, we're never going to find it that way. And I think that also contrasted with this whole idea that that would be something that anything that we can manufacture mm-hmm. is so fleeting. So what is this? How do we get mm-hmm. to the place where God is, um, you know, generating this in us? Right. And it's just this this life of faith and discipleship. That right. Is... And he, he talks about how joy has a history in what God has done, but also in what God has promised to do. Mm. And he says that joy is nurtured by anticipation. And this really helped me because he made the point that if God has worked in one way in the past, there's no reason to think he will just arbitrarily work in a completely different way in the future. But that's so often how we think, right? That's right. We, we think, okay, well, God, yeah, you did it in the past, but who knows what will happen in the future. But right. God and it'll isn't... probably be, be bad. Yeah. Like, why do we? <laughs> We're so pessimistic. So pessimistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we just, we just assume that it's going to be bad or we assume that God isn't going to keep his promises and instead of remembering that he's a covenant keeping God. Um, but then he brings in the reality of pain and suffering and that joy doesn't deny that or makes excuses for it or try to get rid of it. And actually joy doesn't exclude weeping. He says that a common but futile strategy for achieving joy is trying to eliminate things that hurt, mm. but there isn't a hint of that in Psalm 126. And I love that honest approach. Um, and you've, you've done counseling. I mean, right. do you think a lot of Christians today believe that we have to experience joy all the time in order to be a true disciple? And we just have to kind of discount the, mm-hmm. the bad stuff or just kind of make excuses for it? Yeah, I think, um, I think a lot of people who end up um, coming to counseling just know that they have lost joy and they're not happy. They're, the grief or the sadness is so overwhelming and they just mm-hmm. want it to stop. Which is interesting because the Bible does give us resources and um, it can't be actually very utilitarian, but it's not just utilitarian. I mean, yeah. there are things that we can actually do, but how often people um, will work through things and then they think, I thought I would feel better like immediately. Yeah. Like this kind of realization that like, it's this is not going to evaporate right now working through these hard things but also there is a hope there's like a glimmer yeah. i guess of getting so you're kind of like coaxing encouraging mm-hmm. you know you're speaking um the word of christ to encourage them which actually we'll talk about that in the next chapter that i yeah. want to talk about but um you know offering this hope for the person but it's like you can almost feel like a steadying of the ship, so to speak. Like their ship has been like tossed mm-hmm. to and fro, and all they can see is the the suffering or the pain. Yeah. And so their their intuition, their gut instinct is to like run away from that pain. You know, like right. distract myself or do something else. But then, so when you're drawing them into the pain, they're a little, they're very skeptical. Like I don't want to do this. But then you're teaching them to look up and look out and to see God right, himself right. and to lament or mm-hmm. to pray Philippians four, if it's, you know, primary like an yeah. anxiety thing or, but to see God's faithfulness, how to really think about your past and apply it to your future. It's a perspective, right. you know, like you just read about. Right. Um, and it's amazing. It's like, you can see this like ballast kind of in their ship, mm-hmm. but then, over the course of time, that produces great joy because yeah. what does that say? It's like, yeah, there's stormy seas, but I will, in fact, get to the other side. Yeah. Why? Because of Jesus. Then there's joy. Yeah. So I, uh, this isn't, I didn't plan to talk about this, but um, so I heard this great analogy, this great illustration the other day. Um, I was at this, this prayer meeting um, and this guy was sharing a testimony of this illustration of, um, how um, he works with students at UGA at University of Georgia, okay. and and I, there was this really famous Rose Bowl game a couple of years ago, mm. and one of his students said, "Yeah, I go back and I watch it, 
it was apparently a game that ended like you thought Georgia was going to lose, mm-hmm. but then they won out in the end. And so the guy, go, he said, oh, I like to watch it over and over again. And, and the guy was like, why? And he said, well, because when I watch it and I see the dumb things the team does and the things that I think are going to make them lose, mm-hmm. I already know they're going to win. <laughs> so, so it kind of gives me perspective on right. seeing the bad stuff. Oh, wow. And I thought, yeah. wow, that's a great illustration. I'm probably going to steal it for the future. But um, <laughs> but I think that speaks to what you're saying, that like through the storm, like you know that we know the end of the story. Right. And so every bad thing that comes in is just leading. I mean, we know we're going to get through it. Exactly. Because Christ is going to win right. out in and the end. And yeah. it's your faith. There are so many gifts after coming through that in, mm-hmm. in uh, a stronger faith, knowing God more intimately, more deeply, um, you know, fuller understanding of Christ and what he's done for you. And yeah. that produces great joy in a yeah. person. It's like you really know your Savior. And the mm-hmm. more you know Jesus, the more you're going to love him. And you're going to, that produces joy. But but that takes a long time, doesn't it? It does. And people, but that again goes to our, we want an easy fix. Yeah. Because we expect to be able to, you know. Yeah. But turn that's it not, if you, if you read Eugene Peterson for any length of time, I mean, you know that that is not, and just from reading his biography, this like, yeah. it's not the way that he, no. he worked. He was it's willing a, to sit. Right. It's a long obedience. It's a long obedience. Direction. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go into chapter nine, and that that one was about Psalm one twenty seven and the theme of work. Mm. And I've always loved this psalm uh, because I'm tempted to depend on my own work. I know in the Christian life. And I think when you talked, I think I memorized this psalm with you because we memorized the psalm together like years ago when we did some of the. You know, we've done some. Off and on. Oh my gosh. Memorization, I'm so embarrassed because I don't remember that. Uh, that. That's okay. We've known each other for a long time, but when you said the thing about the children, I was like, Yeah. Hey. Anyway, yeah. but let's, I don't want to jump ahead. No, no, it's okay. Um, well, most of us fall off the horse in the direction of like depending on your own work in the Christian life. And, um, but Peterson so wonderfully unfolds this psalm and helps us understand a biblical approach to work. So at the beginning, he mentions, the Tower of Babel and how that first great work project resulted in disaster. Mm. Mm. He says that effort, even if it's religious, does not in itself justify anything. We're not to rest in our efforts, depending on them alone, but we're also not to be lazy. So what is the balance? And he says that Psalm 127 gives us the answer. And I love this quote in the chapter. He says, Psalm 127 shows a way to work that is neither sheer activity nor pure passivity. It doesn't glorify work as such, and it doesn't condemn work as such. It doesn't say God has a great work for you to to do, go and do it. Nor does it say God has done everything, go fishing. (laughs) (laughs) So I so love that. Thessalonians. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my husband's a fisherman, so that kind of was extra funny to me but I love um, that. yeah his language is so great but what, what do you think about the balance that that Psalm 127 gives wow it's this was so um, helpful to me just thinking about the work I tend towards the um, I need to work hard like thinking that it's all on me yeah and I need constant reminders that God is doing the work and he's invited me to partake in fact I, there's a quote in here where he talks about uh, people who are intimate and in whom work is a way, or, or excuse me, the it transforms us from consumers who use work to get things into people who are intimate and in whom work is a way of being in creative relationship with yeah. another. And Such a I, different way of looking at work. I need that constant reminder. And I remember it was um, pointed out to me in a very convicting way once um, when I'd gone something, through something with one of my children that I was very disappointed in them mm-hmm. and disappointed in myself because I thought, what kind of parent am I? Yeah. That, like, did they not hear me when I said blah, blah, blah? And, you know, and then I went through this, I'm like kind of angry about it because I'm like, I think I did say that and they did it anyway. And, yeah. I, and I go into church and um, if the it was actually in the high school ministry of our church and the high school pastor taught on mm-hmm. the prodigal son and he pointed out the older brother and how he said, have I not worked for you mm-hmm. all these years? And he pointed out that the older brother had such a wrong perception of his 
that he was working for the father. Therefore, it made him entitled. Yeah. It made him angry, not seeing himself on the same plane as the brother, not able to um, trust the father, not able to enjoy the party for the return. Right. And I was so convicted because I thought, that's exactly what I'm doing in my work. Like in this moment, I'm looking, even as my work as a parent, that I'm doing it for God and for my children, yeah. and therefore I'm entitled to some outcome. Right, right. right. Um, specific outcome that's uh-huh. in my mind instead uh-huh. of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. God is at work. He's invited you yeah. to participate. Yeah. You have such a privilege, such a responsibility as a parent, but like he's he is doing it. Mm-hmm. Don't lose your faith. And don't ruin this relationship with your. <laughs> I know that <laughs> with that's all these so bad things convicts so. me too because I many times like I have a habit of um, I've memorized this psalm too and I have I have a habit of going to bed and kind of or waking up um, just going through the psalms that I've memorized and reviewing them mm-hmm. and so many times I've come to this psalm and like the first verse immediately convicts me every Every time time. every time unless the lord builds the house those who build it labor in vain vain. i'm like and i and i always go towards parenting because yes it's it's like the house we're building right now it's the house you're building you think (laughs) i am building my children you know and it all depends on me me. and um one time you know john piper said something one time about parenting he said um parents are very influential but they're not ultimate Mm. And I, that's always stuck with me yes. because this, it's so true. And what you so said true. about work being us cooperating with God, right. we think, though, that we are the ones, we are the catalyst yes. in all the work yes. in our children and that it's like all up to us. But yeah. it's so it's, I, it's so yeah. not true. I just, I just love, but that was one of the things that was so mind-blowing for me reading this book is having someone who... He's really taking very um, New Testament, uh, if you will, discipleship concepts, Mm -hmm. things that we hear a lot of times taught out of the New Testament. And he's pointing out how, which of course this would be true, but I don't know, somehow it just, you know, I was like, wow. It's like, it's been God's, this has been God's teaching, God's heart, God's desire, his plan, everything from the Old Testament. It's all through the Old Testament. Like, if yeah. we see it in the New Testament, it's because it was true in the Old. So, like, when he made this connection, like, oh, Psalm 127 is telling you the same thing, Jennifer. I, yeah. Uh, I, I just love it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's this other quote I liked on uh, page 109. Uh, it says, Christian discipleship, by orienting, orienting us in God's work and setting us in the mainstream of what God is already doing frees us from the compulsiveness of work. Mm. Hillary of, I can't pronounce this. Hillary of Poitier. 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 Okay, thank it, you. We'll go. We'll go French. Poitier. I, don't know. <laughs> I could say it French like, but then I, I feel like a snob. But <laughs> Hillary of Poitiers taught that every Christian must be constantly vigilant against what he called, and that, I guess this is Latin now, <laughs> irreligiosa solicitudo pro deo which translated means a blasphemous anxiety to do god's work for him Mm. and that just gets back to what we were just talking about yes you know and and if you look at it that way i love his his the way he phrases things because it really cuts to the quick it does about what you're really doing he is so honest with yeah what you're really doing is you know when you're trying to take over for god or when you think that your work as a parent or whatever you're doing is ultimate that it all depends on you. Um, my husband likes to say you're, you are not indispensable to God's will. Mm. And and that that's kind of like what he's saying. It's a, it's actual blasphemy that you're, you're trying (laughs) to do God's work for him. How, how dare you? And that that really hit me. And have an anxiety about it. Yeah. (laughs) So like you got the, yeah, yeah. You think you're in control, but then you have anxiety about, which kind of speaks to our, culture you know all the anxiety that we we see a increase in anxiety mm-hmm. and um and obviously the new testament speaks directly to that and gives us great ways to deal with it but again this kind of goes at the heart of why that is so mm-hmm. wrong like why that's a sin yeah you're not you're not trusting god you're not seeing that it's him not you yeah yeah i know i know yeah well the last thing i'll say about this chapter is how peterson helped me see the connection 
in the psalm between the first part and the second part where it talks about mm. children being a blessing. So, like I said, I've memorized the psalm and meditated on it, but I couldn't see the connection. Like, it felt like they were two different psalms. I know, like, why are we talking about but kids? But he, yeah. he says, you know, because in verse 3 it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, um, the fruit of the womb a reward. But he says the psalmist chooses this, this example because it is the way we should look at work. It is cooperation with God. Just like we've been talking about, just like bearing children. He says the entire miracle of procreation and reproduction requires our participation, but hardly in the form of what we call our work. And he goes on to say that the way we look at work is as acquiring things. I think you you Mm -hmm. quoted him as saying that. But God presents work as us partnering with him, responding to him, developing relationships. And he says people are at the center of Christian work. And Mm -hmm. I saw that from reading his biography that he... He lived what he wrote. I mean, his his. I mean, he had a good marriage, but at one at points of time, his family and his marriage suffered because he was spending so much time at at church, not doing administrative stuff, not right. like, but counseling people wow. and spending time with people. Mm-hmm. So, he he really lived what he wrote. So, and I wrote at the end of the chapter that that this turns our concept of work really on its head. It really does. Uh, it really, it really does. So, and it's well, so freeing. Yeah, it's very freeing. It's, it's so. a better. It's a better way. <laughs> it's a very better way. So now, what is the last chapter you wanted to discuss? The last chapter I want to discuss is chapter fifteen, mm-hmm. and it's so funny when I read this uh, for the first time. I, I literally was using it. I was telling it to everyone. I don't know why okay. it struck me so um, strongly, but it's about community, and it's Psalm one thirty three, and I think maybe. I was so excited about it because this psalm is one of those psalms that you read and I don't know, it just seems like an enigma. Like what? It sounds what? very foreign, doesn't right. it? Right. <laughs> and I just kind of think, okay, that's not one you're going to put on a card. No. I'm not going to be texting this to somebody like I'm praying this for you. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like well, let of... me just, let's just say what it is. It's, yeah. uh, well, it's so short, but the, par- ahead, yeah. the part of it about like, you know, dwelling brothers dwelling in unity and the precious oil on the head running down the beard on the beard of Aaron. You know, all this yes. talk about flowing down the collar of his like, priestly lips. It's like the dew of Mount Hermon, Hermon yeah. flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yeah, you're like, okay, we cannot really relate to that. No, well, I did. <laughs> I didn't think I could until okay. Um, Peterson wrote this chapter, and I was like, wow. Okay, so he starts right out of the gate here with this idea of community, and he says something that's. Um, it's obvious, but it's also thought-provoking where he says, Scripture knows nothing of the solitary Christian. Yes. And I was, you know, sometimes when people make statements like that, you think, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. He says, people of faith are always members of a community. Creation itself was not complete until there was community. Adam needing Eve before humanity was whole. God never works with individuals in isolation, but always with people in community. Yeah. So (laughs) kind of setting up this, which is interesting now, um, given our COVID climate, you know, of having so many people and we had to isolate from each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, you applaud churches finding ways to keep people connected and to minister the word to them. But I it's been 15 months now and I've here and we have a lot of ways to get together with, you know, in safe ways. Yeah. Um, you're talking about live streaming and yeah, live streaming. And then, but a lot of people, um, I heard somebody say actually just yesterday, well, I've been missing, you know, so-and-so at church, but like a lot of people just prefer to worship at home now. Mm -hmm. And I thought that is not, no. And let me tell you a story about that. <laughs> That's not it. <laughs> no, no, it's so interesting you said that and you picked this chapter because this morning I went to the dentist <laughs> and my hygienist, I was talking to her and asking her how I could pray for her. And she was t- telling me and some things about her life and that she goes to this church and she's like, I just haven't been back yet. I just, it's, I don't know what it is. It's just, um, she said, I set an alarm on my phone and it goes off and I just, I just wake up in bed and I just get comfy and I watch on my phone. And, you know, and it totally like, speaks to this. I know what it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I, it's human nature. She's like, I know I should go back, but it's just so convenient. Right. You know? Right. And, and you feel like so you're true. doing the right thing. You're mm-hmm. setting aside. But, but God is saying, this is, that's so far from what 
uh, he intends how he intends us to um, interact with um, him and yeah. his word. And yeah. it, you know, you have to be in community. It's mm-hmm. life. It's life, right? And so right. Um, this psalm really tells us why. And he has uh, first. He starts out by saying it in the negative. This is two things that um, community is not. Yeah. Which this is a great technique, by the way. I have to remind myself all the time in teaching. Like it's really actually helpful to say. The, what something is not. What something is not. Yes, I love that technique. And so he says it's not defining others as problems to be solved. <laughs> um, the one, the way one might repair an automobile. And I'm yeah. like, well, that got me because yeah. I think you know you go to church, you're like, oh, I need to help these people. Right. Like Fix these people their problems. are. I know. Like people are problems to be fixed. Um, and then the second way community or things community is not is it's not lumping persons together in terms of economic ability or institutional effectiveness, the way one might run a bank, oh. like kind of a machine. Almost. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and like a corporate model of, yeah. of church. Right. That it's a business and everyone has to maximize their gifts and abilities and, and potentials and, and potential. we have a lot of programs yeah. where you can do that and yeah, it's like you kind of get in a real sticky uh, thing because yeah. you're like you know like a lot of stuff it's comes out of convicting. a heart of ministering to people mm-hmm. but how easily we can just make it like things yeah. that we do yeah so what is a uh, real community and he says this is what it is it's a place where each person is taken seriously learns to trust others depend on others be compassionate with others mm-hmm. and rejoice with others. Yeah. And like that's, that's a lot to contemplate. Um, and the way he gets that out of this Psalm is then he goes to this metaphor of the oil running yeah. down Aaron's beard. And he says the oil has, is always a sign of God's presence in mm-hmm. scripture. Um, a symbol of the Holy spirit, the oil running down Aaron's beard was when we see the other or, or, or was, excuse me, the oil running down Aaron's beard referred to, you know, was when he was anointed as a priest. Right. And he says, when we see the other as God's anointed, our relationships are profoundly affected. That we were meant to be a nation of priests. Right. Right? The people yeah. of Israel were meant. So it's like, of course, we had our high priests and we had our Levites, but mm-hmm. God wanted his people to be priests, yeah. pointing each other to, pointing the world to God and how they could be reconciled to him um, through his promises. Right. right? And through his Peter coming. says we're, we are... A royal, a royal pri- priesthood. priesthood. Yeah. So now we're living on the other side of it where we actually know, well, it's through Christ. But uh-huh. even as we're engaging with others, I think that is transformative to think of other people as as mm-hmm. priests and God's anointed and that we're in the we're on the same level, but also it is such dignity and honor. Yeah. And it makes things make sense when God says to outdo one another in giving hmm. each other honor and yeah. you know, all the instructions in the uh in the New Testament mm-hmm. letters. But but then on top of that, it's also this do idea um, on Mount Hermon. And he has such great things to say about that, <laughs> that we should be living. This was super convicting. Um, that we should be living with an expectancy of what God is doing okay. in others. That do is like, you know, you, ma- you imagine do in a desert climate and it falls down and like everything's green afterwards. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a freshness. Yeah, refreshing. Right? Yeah. And so that that really points us to this idea of where community should be where relationships are warm um and like like how you would interact with other priests and like we're Mm -hmm. all kind of back to all these other psalms like we're partaking in the work of god and we're like doing these we've all experienced god's help i mean all the things that we've just talked about Mm -hmm. like you know we have this opportunity for joy so it's like a warm place but also the expectancies are fresh we're already beginning to enjoy the life together that will be completed in our life everlasting, which means that heaven is like nothing quite so much as a good party. <laughs> yeah. Now, I just love yeah, it. I really like the way he's he's talking about community, and everybody wants that, though. Yeah. Everybody wants that kind of community, but it seems like nobody wants to... <laughs> do the work or they think that it will just happen right they'll just they're, they're they just keep maybe that's the reason why people keep hopping from one church to another mm-hmm. hoping to just find that perfect fit mm-hmm. but i mean you're you're in a relatively new church plant yeah i mean and so i'm sure that it was not a you know you went in there and it 
great pastor, great staff and everything right. like that. And but it's not perfect. No. <laughs> and you know that's so interesting that you point that out cuz you do start to think about it like, wow, okay, we're 3 years into this thing. And there's a lot of great, exciting stuff, but also there's already starting to be like, mm-hmm. yeah, human beings, sinners get together, and you're like, what? Oh no! But then the the tendency for us as Christians, and this kind of speaks to everything else that we've talked about, where we see our um, we're so quick to critique and to criticize, and we are we don't see ourselves as part of the creation of this community. Okay, like we're more seeing it. Like, we can see how everyone else is doing it wrong. Well, that's not the same. Identifying the lack of grace in someone else is not the same thing as having grace yourself. Okay. Right? So it's like they're not seeing themselves as do what God, you be warm. Mm -hmm. You be expectant in other, you know, when you're talking to people. Instead of just, we always want to go to righteousness. We want to go to law. We want to call out what's right and wrong. Mm. And that feels very Christian. But that's only like, that's only part of it. Jesus came in grace right. and truth. Right. Right. And we, we, we don't want to do the work. No. You know, we right. would rather point out how the work is being done wrong. Right. Um, but we don't want to be part of the solution. It's like, it's like for the longest time with myself, with friendship, you know, I came to the point where I was like, oh, people aren't just going to come up to me and say, hey, you want to be my, my best friend. Yeah, yeah. I have to initiate. I right. have to be the one who right. who For a man to have friends, he must to, show himself friendly, right? right like right. God tells us these things. I have to work yeah. for it, yeah. right? And right. then I, it, made, it reminded me of, um, we'll get to the epilogue in a minute, but he says something in the epilogue about, um, you know, his, his frustration um, with with pastoral work was um, he was neither capable nor competent to form Christ in another person. This is supernatural mm. work, right? Yeah. And he himself, if you read his biography, um, when he, he started a church plant right. in, in Maryland and it started in his own basement. Mm. And for years he was just frustrated with the people not taking on this type of community he's talking about yeah. in, in this yeah. chapter. And um, it was only until he himself and his wife were doing the work and they were housing people who needed housing. They mm. were doing meals. They were paying people's bills when they needed mm-hmm. it. And then, and then the whole congregation was like, wait a second. Oh, oh wow. okay. This is this what is cool. we're supposed yeah. to be doing, you know? <laughs> right. So it's yeah. like uh, Dietrich, he quotes Dietrich Bonhoeffer in mm-hmm. here. And of course his life together and, he says something very similar, like the way forward is our community with one another consists solely in what Christ has done to both of us. So you can kind of see there's this element of humility that we need to cultivate in our life to see that, which the Bible says this all through the New Testament, you know, as in such were some of you, yeah. like when it lists all of these terrible, you know, lists of sins that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's like, it almost always says in such were some of you, like remember that you've been saved by grace. Um, and yeah that the gospel is good news for you. And then you need to be what I love when he says, um, he quotes Bonhoeffer again, this is on page 181, but mm-hmm. he says, uh, a Christ- the Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs him again and again when he becomes uncertain and discouraged for by himself, he cannot help himself without belying the truth. He needs his brother man as a bearer and proclaimer of the divine word of salvation. He needs his brother solely because of Jesus Christ, the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ and the word of his brother. His own heart is uncertain. His brother's is sure. Hmm. But again, we're we're huddled up around Christ. We're in union with Christ. We're like, yeah. Christ is everything. Mm-hmm. And then I think what a joy to be able to yeah, speak we, that, we act dis- that out. You uh-huh. know, we dis- I think that. we disregard the, you know, people talk about the ordinary means of grace. And I think mm-hmm. really one of the means of grace is community. Oh, absolutely. You know, and well, it should be. It should be. I mean, be. some people's experience of community is like, <laughs> right? Yeah, unfortunately. Like if you're, if you're it's, the project. It's imperfect. Or if you're in a competition uh-huh. with people or if it's about image, you know, all the things yeah. that he said it's not. Yeah. Then you but can see But I love the way it. that, um, you know, the New Testament speaks of us as brothers and sisters. We are a family. Right. So. And that's how this psalm starts, interestingly. Yeah. Um, yeah. How good and pleasant it is when brothers... And sisters dwell in you. Right, right. Yeah. Well, let let's finish by talking about the epilogue. Okay. Because he wrote 
he wrote that for the second edition of the book that came out in 2000. And let's talk about his approach to the scripture, which still seems very much needed today. He mm. says, I love this quote so much. It's so funny. <laughs> the reading style employed more often than not by contemporary Christians is fast, reductive, information gathering, and above all, practical. We read for what we can get out of it, what we can put to use, what we think we can use. And right now, we, 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 we all the way home. <laughs> He's so clever. He is. Uh, But his approach is slow, imaginative, prayerful, and obedient. So how do you think we ourselves can grow in that approach and then lead others to Mm. do that as well? Right. I think so many of the things that we've talked about, I mean, I'm even just after this conversation so encouraged to go back and do, because again, I think it just comes from our wrong um, ideas about what work is or what our um, emotional state should be, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it it gets us off track. We, and then we turn to distractions or we turn, look to ourselves or we try to generate these things in ourselves. Again, just this provide space for yourself, Jennifer, to (laughs) preach to um, yourself. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. To, to really see God in his word and what is he doing and what is he teaching and then learn to live by the spirit, which takes such time. I mean, you have to be very prayerful, kind of like back to our idea of work. Like, Mm -hmm. how are you going to partake in God's work if, I mean, some, the Bible tells us what God is doing, but others is is like, well, have eyes to see what's going on around you. Um, pray and ask the spirit to like, to, um, you know, bring people across your path that need to hear what you read this morning. Or, I mean, there's just so many things that God is doing in the world that if we saw ourselves as participating in what he's doing, that he's the architect, he's the yeah. designer, yeah. he's the catalyst. Yeah, definitely. I, I've been challenged just from reading his biography. I'm going to try to, um, you know, I'm so I'm so into like, you know, the type A personality, mm-hmm. the, yeah. the, the upholder, <laughs> yeah. the like, okay, I got to, I got to do my devotions do it, do it, do it. this way, you know? Right. And so I've been reading through the whole Bible, you know, this year and, um, I have a plan, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, well, maybe I should try to um, take a break and pray through the whole book of Psalms in one month and Mm. maybe start this habit Habit. that he had, you know? And um, so I started doing that a couple days ago. And I think after reading his biography, especially, I just started to look at the scripture a little differently Mm. and... um, Maybe because his approach to scripture is more like he he weaves prayer and scripture together. It's almost one yes, word. The right? answering scripture, God, prayer. right? Yeah, answering exactly. God, right? Like, right? God speaks to you. You yeah. speak back to him. It's yeah, his and word, so so and the, the Psalms God. are the prayers mm-hmm. that Jesus prayed, right. right? And so these are given to us, and like I want to read them, even though I know the Psalms pretty well, Mm -hmm. I want to be able to learn how to pray them. And that's something that, you know, people would come to him for advice and he would be like, well, I don't really have an answer for you for that, but I can (laughs) teach you how to pray. Mm. So that's one thing that his life in this book has really challenged me. And, And something that I tell my women when I teach them is that don't discount slow, repetitive, reading of something of the scripture that is actually a skill in bible study and so that's something that you know like he said a lot of us are just so fast and reductive and we Mm -hmm. just want the answer yes and his practice in his whole life was more to inhabit the scripture right and just sit in it yes and i want i want that more for myself because i just feel that deficit in my own life exactly. and the but what a faith building because again it just turns your eyes in the direction that they should be on god himself and really resting i mean what a life of faith that requires um just to trust that yeah. god is doing his work in you i read a book recently by tim chester called you can change okay. again it's related to you know it's a great book for counseling and he talks about your change project, but he has this great um, visual there where he talks about sanctification and how often, so oftentimes we think, again, we are the doers of it. Like we're pushing this boulder up a hill, um, trying to become like Jesus and 
maybe praying for help, like including God in it. But like, again, it feels like our, you know, our work that we need to do. And he says, it's actually the opposite where the boulder has been pushed over the edge and it's rolling down. You, you will be made over into the image of Christ. You will be fully sanctified. Mm -hmm. God will have his will, um, worked in you. And, that you can trust it. You can trust the process. So I think that actually alleviates a lot of this. Where's this internal pressure coming from to, to <laughs> read know. everything, to know everything, uh-huh. to, you know, uh-huh. I, I struggle with that too. Yeah. I have constant reminders of like, oh yeah, okay. God will have his work, his will done in my life. And he uses his scripture. Like what a gift. Mm-hmm. That's how the Holy Spirit. So don't yeah. Again, back to the, like, don't avoid it. Be like, go fishing. It's all going to be fine. Yeah. No, so I do yeah. have to, like, open the word and be there prayerfully and inhabit mm-hmm. it. But I love that. That's a great visual. Inhabit scripture. Yeah, inhabit the scripture. I really think yeah. that he And then know he lived that, that yeah. God is working that God is doing it in your life. Yeah. <laughs> God is doing it. Yeah. Just like that illustration with the with the football game, you know. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I get caught up in the, in the, wanting to make sure that I'm, I feel like if I don't do everything, I'm missing something Mm -hmm. that it's up to me. Like I'm going to miss something. No, Mm. but God is in charge of my, I mean, we are God's workmanship. We are not our own workmanship. Yes. 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 So, well, this has been great conversation. I loved it. Thank you for uh, having me. Hopefully we can do it again. Yes, exactly. Okay. I hope you really enjoyed that conversation. I know that we could have talked a lot longer. And thank you for listening to this podcast. If you want to find me on Instagram and give me some feedback, you can find me there at Women Studying the Word. And please give me a rating or a review and a review on iTunes. And if you like what I'm doing here and would like to support me, you can find a link to do that in the show notes. Until next time, remember that whoever you are and wherever you are on this journey of studying the Bible, you can go one step deeper, and I'm here to help. Bye for now.